Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Making Action Happen. I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. And we are starting a series, and and as you already know, we have a a really cool benefit for Action 22 members, and that's that they can get their own episode of the show. And so Randy Thurston, who is with us today, who is running for mayor, um, is the first of the mayoral candidates in Pueblo, Colorado, to Take up, take us up on that offer of yep. of having um, that interview. And if you're a longtime listener, you know that we do this during election years as well. We have just about everybody who was running yep. during the midterm, um, yep. just about everybody who's running during the midterm came on, and it was really great. And so we like this format because it gives the people who are running a. a a chance to really talk out what they're what they're working on and what they're thinking on. It's better than a, a 30, 15 or 30 second soundbite. And we can really talk out some of the questions that we have. Um, so we want to, and of course, Randy's been a great friend of Action 22 and a longtime member. So we appreciate him so much. Randy, this is going to be a really interesting um, campaign. And I know that you thought about running before, and this is something that you've been wanting to do really for a while now. Um, let me ask you really quick. There was a um, uh, an effort by citizens in Pueblo to try to get that mayor that mayoral seat or that position removed and go back to a strong city manager position because, as we know, uh, this was the first time that Pueblo had had a, a strong mayor is maybe ever or like in a hundred years or something crazy well, like 1911 that. 1911 was was one date, and I think 1954 they had another kind of conversion, and that's when they went to the city manager in right. 1954. Right. So, what would you say? What's the value added to have a mayor over a city manager when Pueblo had done the city manager thing for such a long time? Well, first, Sarah and Brian, thank you. I always enjoy coming in. You guys are have such the heart to make sure the citizens know the facts and the information and that's all we want that yep. way they can make a good decision so sarah with that question it's really pretty easy i was on city council from 2002 to the beginning of 2010 and we went we went through three city managers and what people don't realize about a city manager it's chosen by city council mm-hmm. so if you have four city council people to decide has no connection with the citizens uh, has no connection with the wants and the needs of the citizens. It's all about the dynamics of the people on city council. And uh, equally with it being chosen that way, uh, they have a provision that they can have uh, no confidence in a city manager. And all you need is for city council people to do that. doesn't have to be for cause, doesn't have to be a scandal, doesn't have anything. So the city manager position, unfortunately, every day they wake up, they're concerned about keeping city council happy. No connection with the citizens whatsoever. And to me, that was always why we never really reached the potential of a community in our growth, in our economics, because um, it was about 
city council. It wasn't about the vision. It wasn't about how can we grow Pueblo? How can we create where our kids don't have to leave and create the right jobs coming in and creating um, a, a synergy of a community that really serves the citizens. So here we are. So it's more about how can I keep my job? How can I keep my 100%? How, yeah. how can I keep my job? And uh, the other interesting thing about the, the city manager is city council only had authority over the city manager and municipal judge. We had no direct contact with any department head. City council was totally isolated from sitting there with parks and saying, you know what, we have a big weed problem, uh, we need to spray the stickers, we need to do this, we need to do that. It had to be communicated by the city manager. Another interesting fact is, and this is a question that I've asked a lot of people, who do you think has more influence over the vision of a community? Is it the elected official or is it the agenda setters? And the agenda setters, when we had a city manager, was the city manager and city attorney. When we voted at city council, it was so interesting. We didn't get to sit there and say, well, let's do this and let's do this and I want this or that. They gave us big black books and we had literally anywhere from 30 to 100 different ordinances and resolutions every time we met. Hmm. We didn't have our fingerprints on those until we voted. So the vision and the agenda of a community was in the hands of a bureaucrat that had no basis on what's the vision for a community. So I always tell people it's the bureaucrat that has the influence. We sit there and push a button, yes or no. Right. We have a staff report. Every time uh, there's an ordinance out there, the staff report comes up, and if they, if they, the, the bureaucrats uh, want something, they make uh, this over here look really good. And if they don't want it, they make the opposing view look really bad. And so you have chocolate or vanilla. And it took me a couple of years to figure that out because we, we're not trained to be city council. We're normal people that show up. We're part-time. And it also gives them the ability to have us just choose chocolate or vanilla. So I kept looking at it saying something's not right here because chocolate and vanilla do not serve the citizens. This is about hidden agendas. This is about special interests. This is about things. But where's the, where's the voice of the citizens on this? So in my eight years on city council, it took me two years to figure it out. I started going with strawberry. <laughs> and it drove them nuts. They didn't know what to do. And the only way that we could do it on city council with strawberry is amend the, the resolution or the ordinance. Hmm. And one of the biggies was with the smoking uh, uh, ordinance. It was uh, non-smoking or a compromise, chocolate or vanilla. And that didn't serve. We were all being lobbied. We were all being pressured and all this. And the citizen's voice wasn't heard in that at all. So the night of that uh, vote, I created Strawberry and I made a motion to put it on the ballot for November to let the people vote. Mm -hmm. And quickly seconded and rest is history the citizens voted overwhelming but that wasn't part of the plan it was chocolate or vanilla so when it comes to city managers it's the most ineffective way if you want to grow a community the strong mayor and i say strong because if you have a strong mayor that listens to the people all of a sudden now you have the right kind of government that we need if you have somebody that has his own hidden agenda or only cares about the people around him that he wants to listen to, 
Then you have, um, I don't want to say what we have now, but the people, their voice isn't being heard at all. Right. Uh, I, I make reference that I think we live in Nickville instead of Pueblo. <laughs> and I and and so, but the str- the strong mayor itself is really what needs to happen. But you need to get the right mayor that's connected to the people, that has the ability to stand strong and get things done for the community. So, so that's where it is. I stand for the strong mayor, but get the right strong mayor. And so, right now, um, as you mentioned, city council didn't appoint department heads or anything like that. So now the mayor appoints everybody that runs like the police chief, the fire chief, head of parks. Is that how it works now? Correct. Okay. Now, now with the strong mayor, uh, they're in total charge of all department heads and who's in office. Now, if the mayor appoints an interim, it doesn't have to be confirmed by city council. If it's a, a permanent position, uh, it has to be confirmed by city council. So, I, 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 so that's the checks and balance part of it. That's the checks and balances. Yeah. But if you watch the last city council meeting with the new city attorney, I don't know anything about the city attorney, but I went and presented the city council that before you confirm him, just compare the resumes. I don't want a political appointment. Yeah. I despise political appointments because we're not getting for the citizens the person that's going to take it to the highest level for the citizens. And uh, the council, if you watch that meeting, they said, well, we, we don't even get the, the resume. We don't get the qualifications. We're here just to pretty much rubber stamp what the mayor says. And I'm sorry, that's not right. Let's have yeah. a process where all the qualifications, the experience and the connection to the community of who's going to do best, that should be where the decisions are made. So similar kind of how the Senate does it, where the president appoints, a, you know, a secretary of defense, and then the Senate has, has to, to go in, confirm and, they, and they do a hearing with it. So you want to see something like that with city council. So your mayor, you want to appoint a new police chief, he's or she's going to go in front of city council and basically answer questions and defend themselves and make a point of why they're the best choice for the job. That's the way it should be here, that city council really has an active role of seeing yeah. who that person is for checks and balances, not just rubber stamp it because the mayor says so. And that makes the any department head accountable to the voters because both city council and the mayor are accountable to their constituency. So thus, indirectly, whoever the police chief is going to be is accountable to the voters. Correct. And then there's one little extra piece to this. Um, when I'm elected mayor, the very first thing I'm going to do is make it clear of what direction I give the department heads. So right now, I would tell the police chief, zero tolerance for crime. I would love Nick to come out publicly and say the direction he's given. Because there's a frustration out there. The police chief does what he is told to. And it's, it's, it's very clear he, he's loyal to his boss. Yeah. But we don't know what he's being loyal to. It should be something automatic if you're for the people and for transparency that you give that direction that the community is aware. And if they don't agree with it, then there's a conversation. Yeah. And right now, the police chief and the police officers take all of the heat. But are they following what Nick is saying? Um, that needs to be very clear. And, and having a disclosure on that will take care of that problem. Right. Um, so Pueblo is so uniquely Pueblo. I can't imagine it uh, being anything else or any being any other kind of entity than it is. So what matters most to the citizens of Pueblo? Well, I listen. I talk to a lot of people. 
and it's pretty conclusive that 80%, if not 90%, want a safe city. They can't understand what happened. You know, they used to enjoy going to the park. They used to enjoy going shopping without having to look over their back or worry that somebody's going to put a gun in their back. You know, the citizens want a place to raise their kids and grandkids that they don't have to worry about needles in the park or a predator coming there and, and doing terrible things to their kids or themselves. That is what the citizens of Pueblo are committed to and they want. That's what I stand for 100% is zero tolerance for crime, illegal drugs, and get rid of the drug dealers. And that, you know, six months ago, or the last election cycle, I should say, uh, crime, homelessness, and drug addiction were, they're lumped together. And we talked kind of offline about this, but, you know, they are separate. But in the average voter or the average person, it's like, those are all tied to each other, right? Uh And it seemed like that conversation kind of dropped off a little bit as far as the media coverage goes. Um, and and even elected officials, you know, when they're up there, it's, they talk about economic development. Um, housing's a big one, which is tied into the homelessness. But, uh, I I still think for the average citizen of Pueblo, it's crime. And and I'm going to say crime and use that broadly where it's crime, homelessness, drug addiction, et cetera. But crime is the number one issue. If you talk to anybody, I know multiple people that are just leaving. They're moving out of town. Um, and some of them are even going to Denver, and Denver's not that great either. That's uh, pretty bad when they go to Denver to get to a better place than yeah, in Pueblo. And, and yes. I've heard that from multiple people. And it seems like it's kind of gone on the wayside in this conversation again. I hear economic development and housing, but crime, like what, what are we going to do about this? And and we'll get to this and I'm going to post the video along with this for you to listen to or watch, but you you released a video on Facebook, what, four days ago, I think three or four days. Um, I just checked within the first hour that I saw it, it had like 300 views and now it's up to about 1400 where you actually go sit down with somebody that's homeless and ask them why, you know, what their situation is to understand that. But what what do we do? Because it, honestly, it's bad. And they'll say, well, it's bad everywhere. You hear that all the time. It's like crime's bad everywhere. Well, yeah, it is. I, and there's a lot of stuff happening right now. Doesn't make it better. But, but I And you know what? I don't care about anywhere else. I just care about Pueblo. So what do you think about this? What's the solution of this? And, and how can we keep engaging the public and our elected officials to address this situation? Well, and first I agree with you that uh, I've been a lot of places and the crime isn't as bad as it is here per capita. I mean, no matter where you're going, there's there's a risk now. Yeah. And even if it was crime all over, Pueblo deserves better. I mean, we've always been a unique community. We've always been a community that stood proud and strong. And we have all of these generations of hardworking people from all over the world coming here, having set up roots. We're not your normal community. And that's why it has to be zero tolerance. So when I get back to answering that question is first you have to look at what the real problem is. I used to uh, serve lunches at the soup kitchen uh, probably four, five, six years ago. And it was truly homeless. Mm -hmm. They weren't illegals um, uh, behavior. They weren't uh, people that were threatening and doing drugs in front of you and anything along those lines. But what we have now is a mass entrance of people, we're a dumping ground from other communities to get rid of the worst of the worst because it's easier to send them to Pueblo than it is for them to spend money to incarcerate them or deal with them because, again, they're they're not going to change their behavior. 
So just take, for example, my, my numbers that 80% of the homeless that are here now are from other areas and they're, they're criminals and they're hiding under the banner of homelessness. So in that, um, we need to make it very uncomfortable for them to be here. We need to make it uncomfortable for them to tell everybody to come to Pueblo. And that's what they're doing right now. You know, Pueblo is a great place. Our economic development and growth for homelessness is off the charts. <laughs> we get number one. And here's what, they, here's what they sell. You can come to Pueblo, and you'll see that in the video when she talks mm-hmm. about that. Yep. <laughs> you come to Pueblo, and they give you free needles. You know, uh, you, 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 you want methadone? You're running short on drugs. Every other community has to have them clean before they start the methadone. Here in Pueblo, they don't. You can go in there having just done drugs, and you get free drugs. And then if they give the pills, a lot of them will take the pills and sell them out there to make money to, to buy more drugs. What's wrong with Pueblo? Where did that policy come from? Why don't we have a home rule law that says, again, if, if, if you want the help, there has to be a certain process, but you have to be clean like everybody else. Uh, we have it where you can have your uh, 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 dis- a disability check mailed to a P.O. box here. So now we're encouraging people that want to be off the grid and do whatever they want to have it. So we have all of these perks and benefits of, of us being a dumping ground. And if you don't think the homeless around the country talk, they do. And this lady made it very clear that it, it, here with crime. She said that she's been on fentanyl for five years. Uh, it's in her face. Yeah, she's in a wheelchair and she lives on the streets. Within five minutes of her being able to panhandle $20, she has multiple people that she can call and within five minutes she'll have the drugs. We saw that. That was, that was remarkable. You know, um, several years ago, um, when my dad was still alive, him and I were talking about homelessness in, in Pueblo. And he said, look, this is the thing you need to know. The people who are homeless in Pueblo, he says there's very few people that are homeless in Pueblo that are Puebloans. Correct. Because mm-hmm. if they were from here, their families would be taking care of them. That's not how that works here. Uh, and so they they're being they're being brought in from other places, and we heard recently that that's you know we hear it all the time. Oh, that's not really happening, or the crime's not really going up. In fact, crime's going down. Do you think that crime is actually going down, or do you think because the re- none of us feel that we don't feel like crime is going down, but we're being told that crime is going down. What's actually happening, do you think? Well, I met with the police chief, and I got some stats that say that crime has gone down 10%. Now, I don't believe it. I mean, all I have to do is just talk to people in the street that every day. But then when a call gets made of crime, a lot of people aren't even calling That's anymore. That's what I was going to say. They don't call. Reported crime is Re- down now, for 10%. And I asked that to the police chief, and he said something very interesting. He says, well, you always have unreported things not reflecting in the report. Well, now we have way more unreported crime than we ever have, and we're already listed as one of the fourth worst communities in the country for crime. Now, I, I know that there's a, a report sitting on the mayor's desk that reflects the most recent stuff. That should be immediately released to the public. Yeah, It won't be released until the mayor signs off on it, so why is he holding on to it? 
you know, I'm, I'm just saying that this can't be a manipulated number. It has to be a reflection of reality. Well, and for the people, the naysayers that say that it's an urban legend that they bus homeless people down from Denver to Pueblo, there's actually a Westwood article where it says they do um, because um, or Westward, sorry, yeah. not Westwood. Um, westward, westward. Uh, anyway because they're like well this is an urban legend and then they went to the the shelter in Denver and they're like oh yeah we do it all the time you know they say that their requirement is that they have to be sent somewhere with the bus ticket that they have family or friends and then they say well I have family in Pueblo and they bus them down the the other part of that too is um, you could see it visibly. You just go downtown to the bus station and you just can see walk around off. there. Yeah, you know it, it, it's it's insanity, and you can't even walk down there right now. Um, that our beautiful fountain kind of near the convention center. You mean a new shower? Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> there's there's that. Um, you know that's like. That used to be my hangout over there. You know, you have Bingo Burger, you have the downtown bar. That's back in the day. That's where I'd go hang out. Now you can't do that anymore. Well, that was built in 2004 because I was president, and I spoke at that event when we did the ribbon cutting for that. And we never had that vision that this was going to be what it is. In fact, I I have to say this, that every day I, I feel that we wake up in a twilight zone here in Pueblo. The things that are taking place, the things that are being accepted, the things that are being pushed on us to be normalized is insanity. Mm-hmm. We are a pride-filled community with people with heart that care, and we have our families, our kids, our grandkids, and our great-grandkids there. Why are we allowing this to take place? Yeah, The citizens don't want it, but it comes down to one person, and that's the mayor. So what could actually be done? Okay, well... That's a perfect question. So I've already talked to the municipal judge. Back in 2004, we had graffiti, and Judge Alexander was the municipal judge. I was president of the city council. I asked him, are you willing to throw people in jail for multiple offenses for graffiti? He said, yeah. Judge Alexander had created a night court because one of the excuses is the dockets are filled up and we can't get you in for weeks. He showed up at night, the cops picked up the guys, brought him in, and there was a lot of other reasons that they were brought in for this. And within two to three months, the graffiti was gone. And we found that 90% of that was done with like eight different people that just spent their whole time doctoring it up. Once the, the, the incarceration took place, and it wasn't very long, and I had moms calling me up saying, how can you do this to my Johnny? And I said, someday you will thank me for this. I mean, to allow kids to keep doing what they're doing is taking down a path that eventually the crime is going to be so bad, they're going to be in prison forever, they're going to be killed, or they're going to kill somebody. Yeah. Why are we allowing this? There's got to be a consequence to every illegal action, and now we're really being responsible for our future generation. Yeah, and that was, uh, right now they're enforcing the curfew, which I think was huge, because that was part of the night court, too, that if you were under 18 and got caught out, you'd go to night court, and then your parents would get a, a ticket. The parents weren't happy. Yeah, I, I'm, I may or may not have went there to pick up my brother at one point. Okay. <laughs> it was but I don't, think, I don't think this is an issue with kids. No, Well, the, it is to a point, because um, first off, it's not safe. 
And then there are kids causing crime and there are kids that are under 18 that are homeless. But, you know, at the same time, if you see somebody walking around in in the middle of the night and you don't know if they're old enough or young enough, that gives validity to stopping and and checking on them and And, and also making sure they're okay as well. Because if you drive downtown at one in the morning, it's not not really a safe place right now. Right. And and I I, I, we were with we were with. Somebody and we were talking about that. Like, what happened to the night court? Why won't they bring that? Well, up? Yeah, this is not the first time we've heard yeah. about night court. Well, and with Sarah's an question, as far as what the plan is, the reason I brought up night court is the minute. Here's here's the beauty of Pueblo. We are a home rule city. Mm-hmm. We're not under state statute now. The state impacts us if we let it, but we're a home rule city, and we have a municipal judge, and she's willing to do the night court. So here's what you do: you have. The expansion of the uh, with home um, rule law of the municipal court to handle a lot of different crimes that we now have control over it ourselves. And this isn't putting people away for, for murder and things like that, but the general people that are here that are doing petty crime and medium crime. So let's just take the um, shopping carts. Is, yeah. that, is that a crime that they, that they have shopping carts that they're – hauling their stuff around. Every one of those carts are owned by a store. Yes, it's a crime. Cart gets compensated. Uh, they get written up. They, they go to the municipal judge, and they have a fine, or they can trade off for community service. Community service is cleaning graffiti or doing something to benefit this community. The fine, uh, most of them will take the community service over the fine. Then you have if they don't show up. If you have three times you don't show up, now it is elevated to something very serious that now is a jailable offense. And all of a sudden, people are going to be leaving town when they reach that level. If they don't have the carts, now if there's um, compassion with the situation where somebody needs to have a, a, a special consideration, we need to have the resources available, but they have to follow the law. We can't be giving special considerations with these programs for people that continue breaking the law. Mm -hmm. So we try to cover it every way, but the guys that are really here that are are creating the problems, they won't want to be in Pueblo once I'm mayor just because it's going to be a constant situation. So they say, well, we don't have enough police officers. We have enough police officers to commit to crimes against people and property. That needs to be what they do. We have code enforcement, we have community officers, we have security companies, we've got veterans. And the veterans, I'd love to meet with them to see if some of them will pair up and just walk in parking lots at night just being uh, uh, the angels out there. You know, there's so many things that we can do that, that it's not a comfortable place anymore for these guys to do crime. Right now, it's the most comfortable place in the country to do things. And so making that twist isn't about um, worrying about what the state legislators do or what the DA does. Uh, We're taking control of our own city and making it so difficult that they will want to leave, and they're no longer going to say, come to Pueblo. It's an easy place to get away with anything. They're going to say, don't come to Pueblo because you'll be leaving pretty quick. And. This is more curiosity. I'm not saying to support this or oppose it, but um, some of the communities implemented anti-loitering laws, which I know the there's some lawsuits going on with that. But would one solution be, you know, not sleeping in doorways of businesses, anti-loitering type stuff? Can you enforce that in Pueblo? Could that be a tool used for it? 
Well, again, first we can't be op- operating off a of fear of a group suing us for protecting the rights of our citizens. So if people are, are interfering with the business or they're creating an uh, unhealthy situation in front of a business, that's a crime. In, in, the, in, in the home rule situation, we can make that a crime. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden it's not just I can do whatever I want. If, if somebody is following the rules, it's not a crime to be homeless. And, and it'll, it'll never be a crime yeah. to be homeless. But if you're homeless and you're doing crime or you're doing something against an ordinance to protect the rights of the citizens of Pueblo, there's going to be a consequence to it. And going back, I'm just picking your brain on this. Um, you know, if I let my weeds grow or keep trash in my front yard or have an abandoned vehicle or an unregistered vehicle in my front yard, I get a ticket and mm-hmm. then I could go to jail for that. Right. right? Uh, why is that not being enforced the unhoused population. Well, it, it, it could be. And just to be clear, one of the ordinances uh, through the home rule that I will be implementing is is the RV vehicles and trailers. That if you have an RV or a trailer, it has to be in a, in a legal registered uh, park for that to exist. If not, you can't put it in the parking lots anymore. It'll be towed in 24 hours. Now, we could have that. Now people are going to say, well, you can't do that. I have a no. You don't. Mm-hmm. You don't. You, you can't just take over a city and do whatever you want. In Pueblo, Colorado, there's rules, regulations, and laws that are here to protect everybody, and we're not going to let people come and dictate to us that this is it. So that's number one. Number two is on the Fountain Creek water quality. I'm sorry if you went and you had a house uh, and you dumped sewage into the Fountain Creek. What would happen to you, Brian? <laughs> I'd go to jail. I'm sorry. It's 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 simple. And I've asked the mayor. I said, "Why do you allow that?" He says, "Well, where else do you want them to be?" And I said, "Nick, it's it's against the law for them to be doing this. You don't have to have some law passed. We already have federal and state regulations on water quality." But again, if if you are a person that's okay with what's going on, you'll come up with a thousand excuses why you can't do anything. If you're going to be serious about turning the community around, not saying everything is going to work uh, as fast as I want it to, but if the community itself supports this, if we have 80% of the citizens saying we're behind uh, responsible behavior and we're zero tolerant on crime, I guarantee you it's going to change the behavior of the district attorney. It's going to change the, the behavior of the state legislators with a simple concept. Here's a line. Randy Thurston, zero tolerance for crime, illegal drugs. DA, are you for zero tolerance? Are you okay with the crime that's taking place? Just raise your hand. That's all, just, I don't care what you say. Just let everybody know that's who you are. And yeah. then see what happens when, the, when, when you get up for a re-election. State legislators, I as an individual can't go up to Denver and, and, and testify and lobby like you used to. As the mayor, there'll be a, long, a lot of times I'll be up there in Denver fighting for Pueblo to change the rules that are in existence that harm us. Same thing, legislators. Are you for zero tolerance? Are you okay with crime? I don't care. Say whatever you want. Raise your hand. Let everybody know what side of the fence you're on. It will alter behavior. 
And if they say, screw you, I'm going to do what I want, I was elected, that's fine. Raise your hand and just tell that to people. People just need to know and not have it be a thick fog, not have it be confusion or excuses and all this. For every excuse there's made tells me that there's a reason that they want to keep it the way it is. And this is going to take some resources, uh, of which we do have to a point. But I know two or three police officers that have quit in the past year, uh, Mm -hmm. less than a year. Uh, And one reason is they're just burnt out. And they said the culture, and I'm not talking about the national culture, the internal culture is just stress. Uh Uh, How... How would you encourage us? Because I believe we're funded for more police officers than we have right now. Right. Um, how would you encourage that? And also on the social work side of it as well. And I know there's a lot of nonprofits do, that do good work out there, and there's some that don't do great work when it comes to this. But how would you encourage and um, retain police officers, have more individuals apply for this position, and encourage even the social work side and, and the community side of it? What would you do? What would be the incentives of doing that? Well, the first thing, again, is to understand most people become a police officer not for the pay, but because they want to do something good. Just like people get in the military. I'm going to fight for what's right. Now, when you look at two alternatives of mayor, one that says zero tolerance and one that won't admit, because I publicly have asked him, what level of priority of safety uh, is it for your administration? And he wouldn't answer it. Once the police officers know that they can do their job and protect and serve, now you're going to have a whole different attitude. Now they can be released to be police officers and do their job. Second thing is with the immunity situation, which is a state-passed thing. And when they made police officers personally liable for up to $25,000 at the discretion of somebody outside deciding, that's a mistake, we should create a fund here in Pueblo that uh, that ensures over those officers. Now, if an officer is doing something terrible and wrong, we will have a process in place that will take care of that. But why punish all the police officers and take away their incentive of doing their job? Then with the pay situation, again, they've now got an increase. They were given $10,000 signing bonuses or retention bonuses. I was told, and I can't confirm this, that three officers have already taken the 10000 and left. <laughs> there needed to be boundaries on it. There needed yeah. to be a structure involved. You can't just make a political decision to look good and say, we're going to do this. There needs to be a thought process. This is taxpayer dollars. Yeah. Let's, let's make it really work and not just go out there and react and, and, and things along those lines. Another example with the police officers is the electric cars. I, was, I spoke in front of the, the organization with the police, and they asked, they asked some great questions, and I love, I love tough questions. So the question they asked me was, what do you think about these electric cars that the mayor just approved? I said, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Are you serious? The co- you can buy three police cars for the cost of one electric car. The cars operate now on, on all three shifts. And the normal battery gives you 300 miles. A battery for a police car, they've got the lights going, they've mm-hmm. got their computers going, uh, they have all these things. You're now down to 120 miles. And so how are you going to charge them up when you're, you, you need the cars? It's an emergency. An yeah. emergency situation. Everybody's going to have to wait 20 minutes. 
Yeah, and, and then there's no back seat because of the, the layout of the cars. I mean, there's so many things that it's just ridiculous, but it was a political popular thing as a mayor to do saying, hey, we're all green and we're playing ball with all of this, which again, I have no problem if the future takes us there, but we're not ready for it yet. Why put our citizens at risk? Why put our taxpayers in a bad situation that we have this big expenditure of something that's going to be a disaster for this community? How do you unwind that? when the current mayor has the full authority to do what he's doing. So as you sat on um, city council all those years ago, there had to have been a list that you were starting to create. If I could fix this, I would. What did that list consist of besides what we've already talked about? Now, is this things that we accomplished or things that I never got accomplished? That that you didn't get accomplished. Things that you're like, I want to get, if I could, I would have gotten this done besides what we've already talked about. Our, Our growth. We need to be business friendly. And to do that, you need the mayor. A city council can't do it because, again, we're not connected with the administration or with the department heads. But if you have a business friendly, which is fair for all, no political favors, this has to be a process that makes sense. You do that, we today should be at a population of 220,000. We have enough water for over 400,000. The unfortunate thing for the taxpayers, we're all sitting there saying, oh, my God, the taxes keep going up. The cost of everything is is terrible. Well, you look at the big cities, and they've grown um, at a level that they can absorb the, the increased cost of government. We have the same taxpayers paying now – 100% more than what they used to, and they, they bear the full burden of it there. Mm-hmm. Where if we were growing, now you have that diluted with more people paying, you have more jobs, you have more tax revenue, you have, I mean, it's, it's the perfect magic. We're not there. Uh, our kids that end up leaving Pueblo, we need to have companies coming in that are, are the future. That's the kind of things that our kids can have a career in that they can add value. Right now, we have the chemical D-mill that's getting ready to get turned over to the county. It's basically 22,000 acres, which is close to the size of Pueblo now. If we're smart about this, and it's going to be under the county, and it's going to be owned by Publoplex, and I met with Russell Lasavo, and the man is brilliant. He's got companies coming in. He's got ideas. He has different things going on that will create so many good jobs. But now we need energy. So the big thing is uh, we need to look at what is the most reasonable cost of utilities that there are. And we can't talk about uh, wind and solar because first, it doesn't make financial sense now. The other thing with wind and solar is every 10 to 15 years, you have to replace uh, the wind and the solar. And now you're going to have big, huge junk piles of all of this old stuff that becomes a a, a huge hazard and then replace it at current day dollars or at at the time and there's never going to be a feasible thing that people are paying rates that are going to be happy it's going to take out way too much there are some alternatives of energy that we need to be looking at having an energy park that we can attract big companies coming in that we can create where we can have big housing developments that people can actually afford to live in i mean we've got so much potential but we can't be following the same path that we have so that's a big thing that we didn't have the growth that i wanted so the next few months we're going to see some really um, important impactful for a long time decisions that will be made um, regarding energy in Pueblo. 
Um, and it's not just uh, Pueblo or Pueblo County, but all of the region is going to be affected by the decisions that are made here um, for probably the next 20 to 25 years at least. So what's what's your thought on that tremendous responsibility and what you think should be done there? Well, let's look at Maui, uh, the grid. Right now, our current grid that we have has been, the maintenance of it has been defunded at the highest level ever. So when you look at the future of electricity, if our grid goes down, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what's going to happen to us as, as, as human beings. That needs to be the highest priority. Our grid now is getting less maintenance, less attention because there's no funding for it. If we create an energy park and let's say that we have wind, solar, uh, uh, natural gas, and nuclear attached, now all of a sudden we've got baseline. We've got something that we can create that we know our community, no matter what happens in the world, we're going to be able to self-sustain ourselves at a reasonable level. So it needs to be a high priority. And Sarah, I don't know if I answered your question directly, no, that's but but the, the grid is going to be more and more of an issue every year. You're going to see uh, uh, brownouts. You're going to see more fires because the transmission lines are old and they're going to be sparking. And these are all things that we can avoid now instead of waiting to be reaction later. But you've got to have strong leadership that's going to fight for what's right and protect the citizens instead of just going with whatever's popular and then having this big disaster and saying, well, geez, what happened? Well, you should have been smarter back here instead of waiting for this happen. And what about housing? Because and I'm not talking about affordable housing or anything in that side, but there's a lot of vacant houses that are run down in Pueblo. And Pueblo never really, and until recently, we didn't even have a registry for vacant houses, I think. And they finally started getting that together. What's your solution on that where kind of re, reinvigorating neighborhoods where you don't have house after house with squatters in them or boarded up and they catch on fire all the time. How are we going to address that problem here? Well, if you look at having uh, a special category of unproductive properties and there's an unproductive, my idea is an unproductive tax. So if it's unproductive, I mean, look at the big buildings, Kmart's. Mm-hmm. How much sales tax do we lose because that building is empty? I mean, sales tax is what makes the world go round. And right now we're, we're going to be losing sales tax like you wouldn't believe because look at all the companies that are closing. So you have an unproductive tax that makes it to where they want to make it productive. And only then, we live in a free country, only then will there be an incentive for them to do that. When it comes to empty houses, same situation. You have some, some incentive for them to put it on the tax rolls and maybe you have a higher property tax for empty properties because it's going to take more to do it. But there's a way of solving any issue if your mind is operating on, on, on the future and what's best for the citizens of Pueblo. When it comes to affordable housing, affordable housing doesn't exist under the current situation. Cost of construction has gone up. Cost of development has gone through the roof 45%. You look at all of the red tape, the restrictions, all of these different things, it all adds to the cost. Now you throw insurance on everybody that's building houses. Now you throw insurance on everybody. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Now you look at property tax, and property tax is is through the roof. 
when you have people in leadership that realizes a dollar is a dollar, not monopoly money. There was currently something out there uh, that Heather was supporting for a boathouse using taxpayer dollars. And it was $11.4 million. Now, granted, uh, two to three million of that goes to the extension of the, of the channel, and I'm all for that. But when you look at taxpayer dollars, monopoly money in this case, uh, of $8 million to build a four-story office building that has four garage doors to park the, the boats that are on the river walk in there, that's monopoly money. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry, I've been in real estate. Do you know what you can build for $8 million? <laughs> Do you know what you could build for $5 million? I mean, and here you have this, and it's not for the citizens. It's for a special interest. It's for the HARP Authority. They don't represent the citizens. And now you look at, for the boathouse, uh, not one person is going to say, oh, let's go down to Pueblo, Colorado. I heard they got a great boathouse to look at. <laughs> On their river walk that's a half a mile long, right. which is beautiful. And, I'm not knocking it. Right. No, but. we love it. And how many feet wide? 50 feet wide? Yeah, I'm not sure. And, 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 and I'm not, and, and there'll be a time that we will be uh, a, a prospering community and we can look at those things. This is not the time to be using monopoly money like it's endless. It, it's a dollar is a dollar, not monopoly money. So would you approve high-speed jet skis for the police officers on the river walk? <laughs> well, I, I could probably do one of those little paddle boats. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I, I'm, I'm saying this in jest. It's great yeah. with our river walk because it is something that can be done. One of the goals I had uh, years ago was to make Pueblo a destination with our river walk and Union Avenue. And I have fought so hard on so many things to get that to be a destination. Can you imagine a half mile off of I-25 that you have 50,000 cars going by and have billboards that say come down to this historic um, uh, place where it's incredible. Once people started coming, they would be coming all the time. Look at the sales tax revenue we would do. We do have the funding to do the streetscape, which is taking it from four lanes to two building out the sidewalks 10 feet on each side. That's already approved. We've Because of the current leadership in the city, we've hit roadblocks that shouldn't have existed. We should have that in place already. Same thing, look at the sales tax, look at the quality of life, look at having an event coming down that street every every month. Something unique and different. And I'm going to digress a little bit because I just came back from Spain a, a month and a half ago. And I went to Paloma, Spain, and I'm probably saying the name wrong. But the population of that community is 200,000. For the running with the bulls, it goes up to 1.5 million. Mm-hmm. People come from all over the world to go there. And it was incredible, the ideas, the, the thoughts. Everybody dresses the same during that week. I mean, it, it's like I've never seen anything like it. You can't even move because you're shoulder to shoulder with people, and they're all dressed in the same outfit. I mean, and it's so popular and it's so smart. The revenue that that community generates in one year, in one week will allow them to do everything they can to benefit the citizens throughout the year. It's like the Chili Fest brings a lot of people into Pueblo. Why not do that all summer long? And you can do it every month long. Yeah. You could do a different event that makes us known throughout the country. We can do it. We've got, we've got the ingredients. We, we, in fact, Pueblo has the greatest ingredients in so many ways. All we need is a chef and, and a recipe. Yeah. And a chef has to be somebody that's connected with the citizens, that has the ideas and the strength to take on those that want to keep it the same or keep making excuses or blaming or whatever to really turn this community around. 
Randy, thank you so much. We've talked with you about this for a number of years. Um, we're really excited that you're that you're running and that you're getting the conversation going. We appreciate um, that. Um, end it with. Um, so it's always interesting to me when I we have somebody in who's running a campaign. When they start a campaign and when they end a campaign, I like to see when they first start and like have them back in when they're a little more battle hardened. But uh, and then I ask them the same question: um, What's a story or an interaction or something that you're going to keep? One that is like that I'm never going to forget. Um, this that this happened during my uh, election. Well, first, this is an opportunity for the citizens of Pueblo to unite. We can unite around zero tolerance for crime. But a bigger thing is that this is a historic election. This is not your normal election. The reason I'm doing this is this is a game changer for our community and for our future generations. If we don't change, what's going to happen to us? Do we wait another four years and have it be so far worse that it's going to take a lot more? This is a game changer. And this isn't where people should be voting. People should be talking about this. They should be looking at what are the qualifications, who has the strength, who has the track record, who, has, who can prove that they've stood up to the bad guys that want to have their own agenda and never bent. Being unbendable, unstoppable, for a new direction is what this election's about, and then find who's the best qualified to make that change. Well, you answered my question. I was going to say, why should people vote for you? Well, that was it right there. That's it, so. because I love Pueblo, and this is not about being the mayor. I'm sorry, guys. Um, don't need to be the mayor. Yeah. The mayor is the only person that can turn it around. City council's not going to do it. I mean, I had somebody send me a Facebook text today and said the mayor and our current city council has dropped the ball. I've heard that from a few people. They just dropped the ball. So now's the time to pick the ball up. Or I use a different analogy is take the keys away from those takings off a cliff and turn the car around as quick as possible. Now, this is going to be kind of a strange end here. My goal, and, I, and, I, and this is not good for somebody running for office to say, my goal is in one term, in my first year to have such a major change and then we can implement the positive things. But I want to mentor future leaders. We appreciate that. And that's something we're passionate about as well. So keep listening or watching this. I'm going to put the video, the one that you released on Facebook oh, right after great. this for, for everybody it. to watch. And you're going to do more of those. I am. Now I'm, I'm going to interrupt just one second. The poor lady I stopped by yesterday. Oh yeah. I stopped by yesterday and uh, a lady was praying with her. And she had tears coming down her eyes. The night before, somebody, one of, one of the homeless guys, she said his name is Steve, and he was uh, like 300 pounds, beat her up and took her money. Oh, man. That lady in the wheelchair that you interviewed? Oh. Oh, man. So we need to get rid of the bad guys, guys. Yeah. Yeah. They need to go. Yep, for sure. Randy, thanks so much. Thanks for so, so much for being brave enough to bring all those things to light. Um, it's not something that um, everybody who's running for office is brave enough to do or to say, you know, there's some things that need to be fixed. They usually want to say, this is all good. This is all great. Everything's fine. What is that saying? 
don't look here. Everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, everything's fine. All right. Uh, Just real quick, uh, making action happen, the views and opinions expressed on here do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Action 22, its board, or its membership. Um, And now that we have a candidate on again, uh, we we do not endorse or support any particular candidate in any election. But what we do is offer candidates that are members of Action 22 to come on here and, and talk about their platform and what they're about. Chad Worthman, I know you're listening. Uh, we are looking forward to having you on the show soon so you can tell us a little bit more about this moon station that you're working so hard on. Uh, we uh, we feel like you might be making some of this up, so you're going to need to come on the show and, and clarify a few things because I have questions. We'll see you next time on another episode of Making Action Happen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.